Welcome to today's episode of Signal Fire Radio. Our guest this week is Ron Holmes, who served 20 years in Marine Force Recon and the Marine Special Operations Command. He is also the inventor of the Riker Grip, which is a side-mounted grip that can be added to any shoulder-fired weapon that is proven to increase speed, accuracy, and stability. Today we will talk about community safety and the Japanese philosophy of Kaizen. Don't go anywhere. So now you know exactly what it feels like to be nothing in my way. You won't remain. You won't remain. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Signal Fire Radio. I am your host, Rob Brenz, Marine Corps veteran, entrepreneur, small business owner. This is a show about ambitious leadership for ambitious leaders where each and every day we set out to conquer the villain of self-doubt by having encouraging conversations designed to feed the mind, strengthen the body, enrich the soul, and nurture and grow the tribe. Matthew, how are you, my friend? I'm good and I'm not good. That's what I've been telling people lately. Because I got sick of saying a year after the pandemic that I'm good. Because, yeah, I am alive, healthy, and my family's good, but just not happy. Yeah, what's going on, man? Well, you know, I, I mean, so I work at the university full time because Signal Fire is still a side hustle, and I work from home every single day alone. And you know how much I love people, and it's where I get my life's energy and joy. Yeah, we got to get you out, right? Yeah. So Robert has. Am I allowed to say this? You can go ahead. Oh, okay. So Robert has opened up one of his vacant uh, suites in his office at his State Farm agency, and I will be an unofficial official team member of Robert Wren's insurance agency. Yeah, dude, we're pumped to have you. I know, we're going to be belting out Chris McKinley. <laughs> you know who else I'm pumped to have here today? Uh, because yeah. we're, missing, we're missing Evan, so Evan's not here. Evan decided to do the dad thing this weekend, and we applaud him for that, uh, family first, always. But we have baby Sam Gonzo in the production room with me. Can you even believe that? Who is who is said baby? Oh my gosh, I know. If you follow us online, then you know that we have an intern, a new intern, a fantastic intern, also a Marine veteran. Her name is Paige Gonzalez. She is in the booth with you guys right now. Paige, say hello. Hello, everyone. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm just honored to be here. It's wonderful to be here. We are honored to have you. Tell, tell everybody real quick, uh, because you're new to the audience. Give them, give them your history and how you got here real quick. Yeah, so I was active duty starting in 2015. Uh, I went Motor T, you know, the best, right? If you can't um, truck it. Well, it's a radio show. You can't oh. say that. Oh. That's okay. I'll edit it out. No worries. All right. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, and I did that. And then um, I went to CLB4, and they really liked my admin skills. And pretty much after that, I was stuck in admin positions my rest of my career, um, but I loved it. I loved when I was at SEAL before, and I got to go to Thailand, Korea, the Philippines, everywhere. So it was awesome. So for all yeah. non-military people, what, is, what does that stand for, that acronym? C-O-B. C-L-B? Or C-L-B. Yeah, um, Combat Logistics Battalion. And, where, and that was? That was in J- Okinawa. Japan? Yeah, I loved Okinawa, Japan. If anyone can go, I recommend it. It's phenomenal. The, and then the after that, yeah, I got out and went to UNCW. Never met you before, though, <laughs> even though you worked there. Um, but, yeah, I was there. And then 
I decided to add more to my task and jumped on Signal Fire Media Company. Absolutely, and we are we are thrilled to have you. And your husband is a Marine. Yes, he is. Yep, and he's yep. getting ready. He's getting ready to punch out with Marsoc here in August, right? That is correct. Matt, yeah. what, Matt, Matt, what does Marsoc stand for? Sorry, I know we have people who aren't in the Marines or in the military that listen to this show. <laughs> Marine Spe- Special Operations Command. Yeah, absolutely. Our guest was in Marsoc for a long time too, as well. So I'm excited. I'm I'm really really excited to talk with him. Um, and, and what we're going to talk about with Ron is, I think, something that's deeply important considering everything that's been going on in our country for the past two, three, four, five years. Um, but, but even more than that, what, what is super cool about Ron and his history, and um, we'll have him, you know, tell us his story after we get back from the break. But dude did like 20 years, Matt, um, in the Marines, recon, MARSOC, and then went on to become an inventor. Have you ever invented anything? I'd have, and I got first place in fourth grade. Did you really? What was it? I named it the Auto Squeeze Toothbrush, and I we I legit <laughs> made it. Like took a drill bit, drilled underneath the um, where the bristles go into the handle, and then pulled out like a row of bristles. So there's basically a channel that goes into where the holes the holes. Okay. And then I took a little straw, filled it with a bend up, you know, the bendable straw, filled it with toothpaste, and then basically inserted the straw into that little hole and then shrink wrapped with this rubber sleeve over it and it freaking worked. Did, did, awesome. did Dylan help you with this or was this all you? No. Well, it was my stepdad, my stepdad, Tom. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he raised me and my sister. Um, so, you know, he was, he was our dad, you know, but he helped me and it was the first time that I ever felt the shock and awe of being in front of like this big group of people. Cause here's little, I don't know, probably 42 pound, Old man hand my lot. Fourth grader my lot. <laughs> do you still have the ribbon from from the contest in fourth grade? Actually, I think I do. Yeah. I mean, st- stuffed away in like a Rubbermaid. Dude, you should have patented that thing, man. The Easy Squeeze toothbrush sounds... Yeah. You know what mine was? I didn't win, but, but my dad helped me invent a light switch that I could turn off while I was sitting in my bed. Bluetooth in it. No, so we just ran string up the wall, <laughs> over the ceiling, and down. And it had like a little rubber O-ring that like fit over the light switch. And yeah. so I would just pull it, and it was like a little pulley, and it would turn the light off. Now, it only worked if the, the switch was in the up position because there was no way to push it down. We didn't figure out how to reverse engineer that. But I didn't win anything, unlike you. It's a cool idea. Yeah. Paige, what have you invented? I don't think I've invented anything. You never had an invention contest in elementary school? She invented her children. I did. That was hard work. I don't know if you could ever level to that experience, though. I I level from the other side (laughs) of the equation. You would. We were the 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 helpers. Yeah. 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 We were the the Igors to the Frankensteins of of birth giving. Right. Yeah. We were the ones that buried the seed in the soil. So Ron invented a... A side-mounted grip. I don't call it a. It's not a pistol grip. What what I would compare it to, Matt, is when you rock climb. You know, in a gym, you've got those jugs that have, like, that you can fit it in your whole hand, and it's got like little finger notches, and you grab that whole thing, and it goes to the side of any shoulder-fired weapon system. Now, you you did uh, some time in recon too, as well, and then in the SWAT team, and you've toyed with Ron's invention. Have you not? I, I have, but it was, I, di- I didn't learn about it. And that's, that's my fault because, you know, even though I have tactical skills, like it just, it's, 
you know, at the end of the day, I like listening to, you know, M83 and yeah. drawing flowers and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, You're not as tactical as you once were. Right. But subsequent to leaving the force in California, um, ending my tactical career, when I came out here, I got, like, I saw him all over the place and damn. Damn. If you had had it uh, when you were on the SWAT team, you think you guys would have been been better equipped? I mean, just the ergonomic perspective alone. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And in all honesty, I wouldn't be surprised because I've I, I stay in touch with two or three of the guys, um, my buddies, and I've spoken to them about this. And I've only used it once, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's operational on my old team right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's something we're going to have to ask Ron. How many police forces and how many, you know, how many hands of military is this getting into? And uh, that'll be a super cool conversation to have for sure. Um, you mentioned something about ergonomics, and our topic of discussion today is really going to be around Kaizen, the Japanese philosophy of continuous and constant improvement. And when I first met Ron, actually, I got to tell you this story real quick. Um, so Dave Polaris, guest of the show, good friend from the Honor Foundation, he sent me an email, and he's like, hey, Rob, you need to network with this guy. And I'm like, okay, fantastic. Um, so he connects, he connects me and Ron via email, and Ron, Ron invites me over to his house. And, and I pull up, and garage doors open. There's a, a Belgian Malinois out in the driveway, <laughs> and I just see this hulking mass of a man. And he's like, I, I know that he knew that I was coming, but you know when you can tell somebody's, like, checking you out, the, the first impression? He's like, is this... Is this guy coming to start trouble with me? Or like his essay was just through the roof. And I was like, I'm like kind of like going sideways to the dog, like letting the dog smell me. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm Rob, you know, like at the end of the driveway. And then I could see he was like he was kind of cool with it. But in his garage, dude, it's the, it's the sickest garage I've ever seen in my entire life. He, he like furred out a wall, put a barn door in. And behind the barn door is every gun enthusiast's dream, dude. I, there's hundreds of pistols and rifles and ammo and just like all the gear in the world that you could possibly want to nerd out. So what I dig about Ron from that first encounter with him is I can always see that he's thinking. I don't think he ever leaves like mental condition red. He's always seeing red the and he's, the, he's yeah. always on the verge of going black. The just situational instant. awareness chart? Yeah. yeah. He's just... Yeah. No, he actually brings that up because my wife and I did... Um, did his concealed carry course with him, and he talks about the different levels of situational awareness. And since then, I've caught myself because, you know, I'd be walking out of a grocery store and I'd be looking at my cell phone, and it's like I have no idea what's going on around me because I'm just I'm staring at a, at a tiny computer screen. Um, and so, you know, what I really want to unpack with Ron, we're going to take a break here in about a minute. What I really want to unpack with him is how did he get into this mode of always being aware of his surroundings, but also trying to level up everybody around him. He had a line, and I'll share it after the break, that was so impactful in his class. But for him, like, yeah, he did, he did 20 years in the Marines, then went on to the agencies, and now is an inventor. And, but for him, like his, what he brings to the community, what he brings to the world, is really about helping other people be safer and be smarter, be more aware of their surroundings, and it really just fits with that, that principle of Kaizen, just constant and continuous improvement. So he's going to be a killer guest, man. I'm pumped about it.
Me too. Yeah? Paige, yeah. you pumped? I'm so pumped. Are you having fun, Paige, on the podcast? Yeah, I am. Yeah? It's really fun. I'm amazed that, that Sam is still back here sleeping. Is he sleeping? Screaming. I yeah. think so. I don't know. Who wouldn't be with your voice <laughs> oh, is all they hear. So, I know. It's like a lullaby. So silky and so smooth. Right. Okay. We're going to take a real quick break. When we come back, we're going to have our guest, Ron Holmes, inventor of the Riker Grip. Do not go anywhere. Welcome back to Signal Fire Radio, ladies and gentlemen. Matthew, how happy does that song make you? Just nitty-gritty mid-90s yeah. coastal California, yeah. which is how I grew up. So, yeah. Oh, dude. And it's... Had I been caught with that CD uh-huh. in, when did it come out? 96? 96, yeah. Had I been caught with it at that time, my ass would have been grass. You think? Yeah. Mom definitely. wouldn't have had it? No. I mean, yeah. dude, I couldn't even have... <laughs> I'm going to show the extreme side of, like, my upbringing, but, like, I was questioned about, like, Bob Marley lyrics. Really? Oh, yeah. That's too bad. He does illicit drugs. <laughs> my dad, it's actually so funny you mention that, because my dad, the colonel himself, I had a poster of Bob Marley, I had a poster of Britney Spears, and I had a poster of Eminem hanging in my basement bedroom, and he came down, he was mad with me one day, and he's like, woman of ill repute, drug addict. And I don't remember what he called Eminem, but he was just like down the line. He was not having it. He was absolutely not having it. What was the one CD page that your mom and dad would not have approved of? I don't know. I really wasn't that bad of a kid. And I'm not even. Oh, because I had Sublime, I was a bad kid. (laughs) No, I didn't mean it like that. I just was into country music. So at that time, so I didn't really listen to Nobody's going to get on to you for country music. For country music. No, no one's going to do that. Yeah. All right, we got to get to our guest, Ron Holmes. Ron, welcome to the show. If there was one CD your mom and dad would not be happy about, what would it be? Or maybe it was tapes. Or maybe you were it was tapes. Yeah, it was tapes. Me too. Uh, I actually, when I was when I was a kid, I had a portable eight-track player and my Star Wars soundtrack. It took eight D batteries. Are you? I didn't even know they had those. Yeah, it was orange and white, and I would put my Star Wars um, eight-track in the whole soundtrack movie and play out the whole movie with my figures <laughs> yeah but the, the the tape the cassette uh was nwa and um left it in the truck and we uh, all get in my dad's driving and it came on forgot to take it out <laughs> and there were some pretty explicit lyrics that came on and my dad was just like duke boom Shuck threw it out, out the window Shuck it out the window Best part is, is my boy was in the back seat. It was his tape. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we, we weren't actually allowed to. Uh, um, now, again, showing my age, I remember when MTV launched and played music videos. And after a while, it was like my dad was like, You guys aren't allowed to watch MTV. He didn't like the message. He didn't like this. So, I'd have to sneak watching MTV totally. and record videos when they weren't watching. And yeah, so. Yeah, MTV and NWA. MTV is like one of the great failures of our time. Um, <laughs> did, where, did, where, did you see what's coming? No. 30-year reunion, real world, New York. Really? Yes. I'm so game. Uh, no, Paramount. I'm so game. Meaning the original, the original real world of New the York? The very first season. <clears throat> I don't Dude. think I started watching until L.A., which was the second. I think San Diego might have been my first. 
I had some buddies that were actually on the real world. I worked for them in college. Uh, at they, they Ace Amerson, I think he was on San Diego, and a few others. They they owned a bunch of bars in in rural Georgia outside of Statesboro. So, yeah, <laughs> crazy, crazy how things happen. So, Ron, um, we we tried to we tried to do your story justice, man, for our listeners. Let them know, like you know, you you did twenty years in the Marines. Like, give us your start. Give us your story up to now. Yeah. So. Um I enlisted in uh, 1989, graduated boot camp 1990, and went to uh, uh, my MOS was a field radio operator communications, and went to Okinawa, Japan to 1st Low Altitude Air Defense Battalion for my first uh, tour, and on August 2nd, 1990, I turned 19, I got promoted to uh, Lance Corporal. And it was the same day that George Bush Sr. declared war on Saddam Hussein. And it was also a boss's night. If you guys aren't familiar with what a boss's night is, it was not a good day for me. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a rough day. I had trouble walking for a little bit from being promoted and my birthday and everybody's happy. Anyway. But now from there, just decided to stay in. Uh, got stationed back in the States. Ended up in uh, a, a command that doesn't exist anymore called... Shrig Surveillance Intelligence Reconnaissance Group, and from there I went into uh, I got assigned to BLT One Two State Platoon, a sniper team, and went um, on deployment with the Twenty Fourth Mew. Um, came back from that, I made it into Second Anglico. Then I got back to Okinawa, and this is where I started my journey on becoming a reconnaissance marine. Did three years at Fifth Force Reconnaissance, and then bounced around from um, you know Second Force. Uh, I was staff, I&I staff at 4th Recon, Echo Company up in Anchorage, Alaska, best place on earth. And then uh, back to 2nd Force when we subsequently became 2nd MSOB. And then I got promoted and got put up into the G6. Did my last three year and a half years uh, in the G6 and created, uh, was responsible for creating the first Marine Corps Special Operations Communication School. And that was the mark that I had, I've left, and I'm pretty happy that that, uh, the course is called MNOC, Marine Network Operators Course, and it is the uh, staple for all communicators in MARSOC to deploy uh, at, for all ranks. So I did that, and then after that, I, uh, I went, I've had a couple different contracting jobs. So, uh, so Ron, yeah. so what year was it that you, like, permanently separated? Sorry. Two, I retired uh, 2010, March. Actually, um, I'm coming up on, uh, uh, ten, I'm at 10 years I've been retired right now. So, yeah, 2010. And then uh, I contracted for five years uh, until I had cancer. And then, um, yeah, and that's it. And then I've been running firearms instruction for 12 years. And, um, yeah, I've always had a creative mind. Uh, I think part of it is being left-handed. The tactical industry, the firearms industry, was I don't want to say it was non-existent, but it was not even a fraction of what it is now, uh, pre-9/11. And back in the 90s, the equipment that was offered was primarily set up was right-handed um, orientation uh, on how you wear it on your equipment. So I always had to take stuff apart and you know put it back together and everything and make it work for me. So I've always had to do that and and i'm always looking at ways to make things better for me 
essentially just so I can do my job better is how it was. And then that's kind of what led me to um, the Riker grip. Were you, yeah, tell, tell people how you did that, man. Like, were you, you were just messing around with stuff? And, yeah. And, like, what were the early prototypes? Was it I should have brought them. Was it just, like, a rock stuck to the side of a rifle? So, uh, you know, prior to retiring, I had, I've had bilateral shoulder and elbow surgery. So I got rubber bands that hold my, my shoulders in, and I've got screws and, uh, and fishing line and stuff that hold my elbows and my tendons together. And... When I retired and I got into the capacity of being a gunfighter, still, I was doing lots and lots and lots of shooting, and I was noticing that my support arm was painfully going numb. And I would come back to the magwell, which I consider an inferior uh, you know, position, for pain management. Now, my fundamentals my, my marksmanship are solid where I could pull it off, but it's just not where you want to be. So I started trying to figure out a way so I could shoot pain-free. And I, my first, the very first grip, I took two broom handles, the traditional broom handle, and I made a T. I made a T out of it, cut one, drilled a hole, big screw, a bunch of uh, epoxy, and put it on. And I was like, I'm on to something. Um, it was uncomfortable. I still have it. And then I was just on Facebook and saw this stuff called Instamorph. Um, and this dude had a drone. And he broke one of the blades on the drone, and he had this Instamorph, and it's these little plastic pellets. You boil them up, uh, and then you take this moldable plastic out. It's clear, and it, it'll, um, it, when it hardens, it can harden to whatever color you, know, you get. So he made a new blade for his drone, smoothed it out, put it on, and it worked. And I saw that, and I was just like, I need this. So that, I got that. I ruined, I ruined one of my wife's, one of our... our cook set that we got for our, our <laughs> wedding ruined one um like melting like getting it hot melting plastic on it and everything on the stove top uh, huh where did you melt it in the pan <laughs> on the stove on the stove yeah <laughs> so so marine that's so yeah how, was, so how i do it like, yeah what? I, I didn't see nothing wrong with it it's yeah, like it, all right it's a good idea at the time yeah so it's kind of funny because she she drove me to dollar general one day and i was like what are we doing here and she's like go in and get yourself some pans you're not messing any of mine up <laughs> so um, yeah, so I started, I started melting it around. Now, if you guys, it, it, I don't know if you guys know this, but Oakley didn't initially make sunglasses, right? Oakley was a BMX company. They made hand grips and number plates, and then the sunglasses and stuff came. They, so they don't even make grips and everything, but the Oakley grips for your BMX in the 80s, man, if you had them, like, dude, yo, yo you're rich. Like, that's how you, they were amazing. Super big, really comfortable mushroom. They were the ones that came out with the mushroom grip. And it, yeah, we'll have to pull up a picture so you guys know what I'm talking about. But the first one that I made out of the, um, uh, the Instamorph looked like one of those. It was huge. And we put it on. We're like, okay, we're on to something, but this is way too big. So then I started making more, making them smaller. And then I came up with a little nub that essentially did look like a, a piece of uh, our indoor rock climbing wall. Right. And then um, we, you know, my, my one partner, Jake, and I, we were actually driving up to see Corn. We're really good friends with those guys. And uh, we just got in a conversation, and he was like, hey, man, he's like, you, uh, you should invent something. I was like, dude, I got a notebook of stuff. And I told him the thing I had been working on. 
And he goes, well, why don't you do anything with it? Now, this is right after I had cancer and I was no longer contracting, you know, making that, those nice $1,000 a day paydays, you know. And uh, just going back now, settling into a, you know, a normal, uh, you know, normal lifestyle. And um, I was like, yeah, dude. I was like, I, I don't have the 36 grand to invest into it right now with what it costs to get you to a patent. And he's, he's driving. He's like, all right, so how about this? Me and Josh back, back the project financially. We split everything a third all the way up until we get up and running. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. So I initially just made it for me so I could shoot pain-free. And that was it. Wasn't thinking, was not thinking about a shotgun until the day we're like, once we had our, our, our working prototypes from that, uh, once we go back up a step. So we got a patent writer. This process, and, and again, I'll completely separate show but it, it's long and it's expensive but there is a positive end in sight but um so you get the patent writer as soon as it came back and he was like yeah boom 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 there's nothing you can you can apply here's your first version of your patent you go give it to your patent attorney your patent attorney files it you now have patent pending status the moment we had that we already had interviewed the and and you know letter of intent with the engineer firm in raleigh uh lout design awesome um, the moment we had patent pending status, we we're like, Psh, begin. And that's when we started seeking investors and everything like that. And then they started giving us the prototypes, the, the grip design itself. This is why we brought in a lot of other people to help us, you know, with this process. But the, the grip is the grip size and pitch is based off of 80% of hand size and wrist mobility in the United States. So that's how we ended up with this final design here. Um, but yeah. What were the what were the first couple days out there on the range like when you had the two broom handles like were were dudes looking at you like what is this fool doing? No, it was actually just me. Uh, it was just me and uh, DJ Strunts, and that was it. And I know we, I know DJ quite well. Yeah, so D, DJ DJ was with us for a while, and um, so we're out there we're shooting, and I was just like this. It it was so it was so uncomfortable because I had like this. The, the big broom handle in between for where I made the T, but I was just like, I can work with this. So we went out, we did the other ones we did. So, and I got the original, we did like a little photo shoot with it. And, um, you know, with the moldable plastic one, but, um, yeah, so it was, it, and then once we started getting, once we had the 3d printed ones, that's when we started trying to, uh, pull dudes in and take dudes out to the range, do demos and start putting them into the right hands of the right people. What was the initial feedback from people? Uh, everybody's like, you know, the tactical industry, uh, is the, I would say it's probably one, uh, uh, now I've only been as a small business owner in the tactical industry, but it is a very difficult industry to navigate and to be in. The industry screams for change and new and innovative and everything like this. But when you give it to them, it's, it's like, um, I'm scared and, you know, but, um, Guys looked at it and they're like, it looks funny. I'm like, yep, it looks funny. Just try it. And then they're like, holy crap. They're like, this is like the folding chair. It's like so simple. Why didn't I think of it? You know, that's like we've heard that and stuff like that. So it's just, um, it is funny, but it's different. But the thing is, is that if it makes you better at what you do, then who cares what it looks like? And, you know, along the way when we're shooting, I, we're a whole bunch of us, I got more people on the range one day and we're doing specific, you know, courses of fire. And I'm looking at everybody, and I was just like, 
I feel faster. And guys are like, dude, I thought it was me. Like, I just feel my transition. So then we got the idea, like, hey, let's let's draw, like, specific box size on the targets. And let's do a comparison with grip without grip. So we came up with that 96-round course of fire from there, which was validated by a team of statisticians that it was quantifiable. And now we can measure speed and accuracy. So the industry uh, doesn't, it, it cries for change, but it, it moves very slowly. Why do you think that is? Because special operations makes up 1% of the entire armed forces. But Facebook is 99% special operations caliber shooters. So there you go. At least in their own head, right? In their own, yes. In yeah. their mom's basement. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, so you got the feedback, and it was it started to get well. Not even the feedback, but the data. Yeah. Is, is it getting in the hands of law enforcement right now? Yeah. And, so and when we started, you know, from prototype through production, we've been on the market. Uh, we've been on the market three and a half years from prototype through from the day we started to to production. We're almost at seven years. Uh, we've been doing this. You know, the the patent process is not is not fast, especially because we're talking about American bureaucracy. Uh, so it's, 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 it's painfully slow. But in that time, we were having, uh, we were having certain one, amounts made and giving them to the right people. So it's, it's been battle-proven on five countries with all the, all the top players, you know, in armed forces and different agencies. And as far as law enforcement, on the back of our packaging – we have the NTOA, National Tactical Officers Association logo. It is a tested and recommended product by the NTOA. Uh, so we're trying to constantly get it into the hands of law enforcement. One of the things that we're doing on the side of that is why we brought in a team of doctors. We're working. It's a long, slow study, but we're working to prove that this can prevent or prolong joint, neck, shoulder issues from constant, like, high rates of fire, volume of fire shooting over the years, or dudes like myself, why I invented it with pre-existing conditions, it doesn't aggravate them. And the goal with that is to get the Riker grip eventually listed as a medical device so a cop can go in and have his doctor write him a prescription for this medical device like he could for a back support, like a, um, a general contractor could go and have his doctor write him a prescription for a titanium hammer. So the same concept there, it's going to become, it'll become a medical device. So that's one of the other avenues that we're looking at going. And I have an appreciation for that. Um, specifically, I was, I think I was too young in the Marine Corps, but when I got on the SWAT team, I was 32. Um, but I remember days being on the range that it was, and I have carpal tunnel really bad in my right arm and moderate in my left. And I remember being on the range and it raining and it being cold and I remember my hands starting, they go numb, and then it gets like pain, pins and needles. And then it almost felt like my hands were so cold. It felt like I was getting like electrically shocked through my handguard and through the pistol grip. And just looking at that, I know, and I've, I've only used it once, but it was on a really hot summer day. But I know that that would positively affect, you know, the whole carpal tunnel, especially when it gets cold and, um, I mean, I just look at that, and it just says, ah, for my hand. Well, think, think about this. Think about, like, SWAT and law enforcement. You guys will get a target site. You'll roll up. 
but you're still waiting on the warrant. So you're you're stacked up outside. You're not even hiding. Hours. It. Yeah, and you're just sitting there hours waiting. So you want to? How do you? How are you going to hold your gun? Now you can just let it sit right in your hand, you know, and then pop right up. Though that and the combination of the Riker sling, you can keep your sling tight to your body because our sling has a bungee in it. You can sit there and you can just pop right up. You don't have to release the tension on the sling. So we've got. That's one of the things. A lot of feedback that we get from a lot of law enforcement from special the specialized side of it is the guys like the the comfort factor in it. Uh, I also think that in, in that setting too is it gives you a lot more positive control. This is a lot more natural for you to hold on. So you get some gorilla hopped up on something, he grabs your barrel, you know, and you've got a traditional, you know, teacup grip underneath. You're going for a ride. You have a nice tight sling and a grip on there. They're not going to get your gun. They're not going to come in. You're not going to let them get in that close. So... Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that real quick before we hit the break. We've got a couple of minutes before we get there, because what you're talking about, you know, we've been talking about it kind of in the context of sport shooting right now. Um, but when it gets into the hands of the professionals, we're talking about those milliseconds or fractions of a second between life and death. Is that when you set out to do this, did you have that end in mind or was no. it, I just want to be comfortable and it just. No, one dimensional thinking. Then let's put it on a shotgun. Hey, let's put it on a scar. I'm hitting my boys up. Hey, I need you to put this on a saw. And that's when we started finding out the heavier the gun, the higher the caliber and or full auto, you recognize the benefit instantly. And then something else we realized once we started shooting it on some full auto suppressed, no glove, no heat. It completely removes your hand from the heat. So think about law enforcement jumping into action, pulling a gun out of the car. They're not, most of the guys aren't putting gloves on their hands. Three, four mags. You're going from that third mag to that fourth mag deep into an engagement. That gun is hot, and it's hot enough where you're not thinking about marksmanship. You're thinking about pain management, mitigating that heat. The grip completely removes that factor from a, a sustained gunfight. So we're really so what it really boils down to, and, and what I think we'll get into on the other side of this break is <clears throat> maybe not by accident, maybe sort of by accident. By accident, yeah, one hundred percent. You one hundred percent, yeah, one hundred percent. That that the community is getting safer by accident <laughs> because you had an idea about something to make your shoulders more comfortable while you're shooting. Yeah. Dude, how does that make you feel? Knowing that, that that's what, it's seven years later, that's what's happened with this. Uh, how much time we got? Uh, like <laughs> exactly. A and a half. So, Kyle Carpenter, it's like my little brother. I love that kid. We all, if you're not familiar with Kyle Carpenter, he's, he's an American treasure and I met him three years ago Got at SHOT Show. A couple weeks later, was down in South Carolina on a range with him. And he loves shooting, but he hasn't been able to shoot a lot. He can't bend his wrist. He's got all the skin graft damage on his arm and the nerve damage, so he can't really hold a rifle up. We put my rifle right there in his hands and that grip, and it was natural for him. And he shot a whole mag, and he turns around, and he's like, can I continue to shoot? And like, absolutely. And he shot, bah, 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 and he burned it down. And um, he turns around and he goes, fellas, he's like, I'm not, even, I'm not even joking when I say this. Right now, as I am today, I could go back to Afghanistan with, because of that grip. That in itself right there is now when we realize like our biggest like aha moment, like never could we ever imagine that, oh, I'm giving people something back off of this idea, you know, and our one partner up in Alaska, uh, Chad said, 
He goes, fellas, he's like, if we never sell another grip again, we are a success. That right there. That's, we've changed one person's life who lost almost everything. So that in itself is, is like kind of, yeah. I think, does that answer you? It, it, it absolutely does. Yeah. Don't go anywhere, folks. We're going to take a real quick break. We're going to pick this up on the other side uh, because through Ron's work as a profession, a professional gunfighter, um, he's changing our community's lives in a lot of different ways. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back here on Signal Fire Radio. Oh, yeah. Welcome back to Signal Fire Radio, ladies and gentlemen. When you hear that song, you know that Matt is as happy as he could possibly be in the studio because it is just his jam. Matt, were you getting ready to uh, jump out of the airplane there a second ago? I was. Yeah. Just makes me so happy. It sure does. You know what makes me happy? conversation we're having with our guest ron holmes right now elated yeah, more yeah. Like. so um ron you are a really important person to have in this community because on top of everything that you have done in service to your nation um and the story you just told about kyle carpenter and giving people like not meaning back but something that is meaningful to them back you coach people from special operators to soccer moms on how to be better prepared to enter into a hostile world. Tell, tell folks, you know, kind of what it is that you do to level up the community. So, like I said er er earlier, we, you know, I've been running my own firearms instruction for 12 years, and I like to think that uh, I've get better with each class and I constantly try to refine my craft and refine my product. I also remain a student uh, of, of this world. And from the time I started out, uh, you know, teaching people marksmanship and everything like that, our world has changed dramatically in 12 years. Um, and it's not, it doesn't seem to be getting better. It just seems to be getting more... Um, I don't know, just harder across the board. The, um, but having the ability to uh, have a hand in my community, if you're going to carry a gun in the community I live in, I want to have a hand in your education. I want, to, I want to help you better prepare yourself. I want you to be more confident in your abilities and uh, your responsibilities as a gun owner as a homeowner, as a parent in society. Um, you know, there's a huge, you know, the debate, like Second Amendment's the only concealed carry permit you need. A concealed carry permit's a violation of our constitutional rights and all this stuff. Um, I'm not opposed to more education. I, I think, though, that the concealed carry permit process across the United States is a joke. Uh, realistically, if they want to do it correctly, it should be in hours and not a day course should be an hours and, and to build up to proficiency. So you are actually truly doing the, uh, the society a favor by putting out a well-trained, well-educated, well-prepared, confident armed citizen. What I like to do in our class is that, you know, you know the, the North Carolina Department of Justice gives you a blank, you know, a template to follow to teach this class, but they also suggest that if the instructor wants to adhere to a higher standard, adhere to a higher standard. I have always done that in, in the North Carolina concealed carry permit class. Uh, my class, you will shoot. You will learn how to draw a, you know, a pistol pre 
you know, present a pistol to a potential threat properly, but every step is methodical and every step has a purpose. So when you leave my class, I want you more confident. I want you to walk into a gun store and be like, oh yeah, I know what I'm doing. Be able to pick a gun up and, you know, not freak people out, you know, because you're, you, they can tell if you're a new gun owner and, uh, you know, and stuff like that. But just trying to help society and help people, educate people that, you know, I've had a, I've had over a dozen anti-gunners, you know, in 12 years come take my class. And a lot of them all say the same story. They're like, I grew up in a house that was very liberal and that was very anti-gun. And I hit a point as I became an adult and I don't even know why I don't like guns. And people would come on out to the class and at the end of the day, they all say the same thing. This is the best thing I've ever done. When's your next class? So it just comes around presentation, I believe, and education. You know, people need to be to be educated. Uh, that's one of the things too is I, you know, I've, I always try to pull in guys that either whether they're getting out or whatever, like always need good help and reliable guys that I can trust. And I have a lot of guys that come and in, in assist and instruct with me in my classes. And some of the guys are like, "Hey, man, I'm getting out, and I want to do this when I get home." And one of the things I can tell them is is that um, these people are coming to you for education, not qualification. You cannot treat them like they're Marines. You have, to, you have to just dial it back, and you have to find that finesse. You have to find that common ground between you and them. You have to relate to them. And you can't freak them out because they're coming to you because they know nothing. It's not their culture. It's not their world. And they want to learn it. They want to, like... I know my limitations on things that I can and cannot do. I was a youth ski instructor when I was stationed in Alaska, and I taught myself how to snowboard. I know that I could not teach my son how to snowboard right now. I know this because when I was a youth ski instructor, I had my friends who would bring their kids to me to teach their kids because they're like, I can't teach my kids. And I'm like, I'm not even on your level. And they're like, do you have kids? And I'm like, no. They're like, you'll understand. I always remembered that. <laughs> I always remember that, you know, so it's just like, find, you have to find that balance. And one of the things that I, why I mentioned that is that I kind of, my approach I take is like everybody's that five-year-old little girl learning how to ski for the first time. And I apply that to all the classes I teach. Yeah. And you find that even experienced shooters walk away learning something. Yeah. Everybody can use a tune-up. Yeah. Even myself. Yeah. Even myself, you know. Um, and it's funny. It's like where I, I notice where like maybe I get, I get... I don't want to say lazy, but where I could stand for more training and stuff like that is when we do, like, just fun days. Me and my boys, when we go out and shoot, and I'm like, these guys make me sweat and make me work. I'm glad. All right. Okay. But I'm in a, I'm in a higher, yeah. you know, a higher caliber uh, shooter at that point. But, but, but you, it seems that much of your life has been lived like that. Like, okay, I'm here. I recognize where I'm at. And I recognize my limitations and the limitations of, of those that are around me. How can I just keep stair-stepping up? Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, like, it, it takes a village. It takes a community, right? And, you know, now more than ever, you know, it, it's, it, we've got to, we are so torn apart and divided and broken and hurt. You know, I remember, I remember, 9-11, like every, every single second of that day. And I remember on 9-12, uh, 
you would have thought it was Fourth of July. There was so many American flags, and I was in Anchorage, Alaska. There was American flags on car antennas, on mailboxes. Like it was insane. There was houses with like ten American flags on it. It was amazing. Probably similar to what the country went through after Pearl Harbor was attacked. The country came together and be like, this can't happen, you know, and we came together. And I don't know when or why the complacency has become the norm, has become the, acceptable, the accepted, like, mentality. But it's just all these things are chipping away. And, you know, it's, it's even though I've, I'm retired and I've left, left service, you know, military and government service, I still feel obligated. I still have a duty to serve. I still have a duty, you know, that, that calling in me. And I just think that as a, as a veteran, being responsible to my, to, you know, my oath and, and to that next generation, I want to make, I want to take all of my things that I've learned and I want to put them back out there in the community. I want to help people that want to learn, that want to help. And, um, and there's a lot of people out there who have taken my classes who are just like, I came, I, I talked to so-and-so, it was like, I wanted to do this for years, I didn't know how to start, where to start, who to call. So I just think that, you know, everybody can do better, um, you know, and I still like, you know, that next generation, you know, when I coached football, as everything I got to do, which was awesome when I was in Alaska, I had these kids for, for three years, and the, the core group of 12 kids that I had for three years Five of them joined the military, you know, and they and their parents all told me after they did it because of my engagement with them. I never at that time in my life, I wasn't thinking about recruiting kids into the military, but they saw it as just like how I was and like just volunteering, give my time back and, and stuff like that. So we can we can do stuff. It, it takes the community. We have to come back together. We have to find them. We have to be able to have conversations and, and respect, you know, boundaries and and feelings without canceling them. How do you think that we, we as veterans, as the group of veterans, and we've come together here in Wilmington, I think, in a short amount of time. We were at the Veterans Business Collective last night. There was, you know, 60, 65 men and women all dedicated to that exact same thing, which is growing <clears> – <throat> Well, building relationships through community, even though we're all different, how do you think we, as, as the veteran group, continue to do that and then bring everybody that might not have the exact same shared experiences as us along with us? You mean bringing on other veterans or bringing on... Uh, no, just anybody in the community, like, you know, just... just yeah, I think to, there's, to there's, that. there's a, like a natural... Um, thought process it's like oh yeah veterans blah 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 and one majority of people now when they find out that you're in the military they automatically assume you jump out of planes and blow stuff up and shoot people in the face (laughs) they just assume everybody does that and you know so it's it's you have to get them over that there's so much more to the military than that stuff there's so much education and career development and personal growth that you have to do so you take these take take all these things take all these boring, like just ridiculous schools and, and, and continued education stuff that we had to do in, in, you know, in the Marine Corps. And I know they have them in all the other armed forces too, but you take all of that and find a way to translate it into what you want to do or helping people. My, my, my market of what I do is niche. 
But I know a lot of people, and I always try to connect and always have always tried to bring people uh, together on on different platforms. I think that you know a lot of things do to cross pollinate, and um, I think that um, they though also the whole vetrepreneur thing is very is still very new uh, in comparison to like when I was a kid and when I was in high school. I never thought about anything being veteran owned. I was just like went to the store. You know, but now it, it's like when I have friends who like T-shirt companies and um, like Chris, who's getting ready to retire, who's who's in uh, engrave it on Instagram. He's engraving our grips for us and personalizing them. Like I just like there's so much creativity out there, and I want I want to help our brothers get that get get the word out about what they're doing. But there's so many people doing so many good things, and and outside of. Uh, outside of the stereotypical, the industry I'm in, the firearms industry, there's so many other things yeah. like you guys, yeah. you know, and then everybody at the, at the event last night, everybody has something different and they're doing it. They found a way in and now they're doing it. They're just trying to provide for the, com- the community and made it a job. I love it, dude. I love it. You're, you're spot on with every single comment. It's exactly how Matt and I feel exactly why we started this show, honestly, just to give voice uh, you know, to people who we wouldn't otherwise know about them because, you know, they're doing their own thing, they're keeping their head down, and they're just blocking and tackling. Ron, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, they want to learn more about Riker, where should they go? Call you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so our website is RikerUSA.com, R-Y-K-E-R-U-S-A.com, uh, Instagram, RikerUSA, and um, you can email the page or if you guys... I'm going to write this down, ron.holmes, H-O-L-M-E-S, at RikerUSA.com is my email. And um, we do travel to train. Uh, locally, I train. Our, our range is 40 minutes south in Wilmington, uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. And um, uh, we'll, the only day I don't normally train is Sunday. So I'm retired stay-at-home dad. My life is amazing. And I, so I can go and teach people how to shoot on a Tuesday. I love it. I love it. All right, we're going to take one more quick break. We're going to come back with the wrap-up. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in just one second. All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the wrap-up of Signal Fire Radio. We hope you enjoyed our guest, Ron Holmes, today. Matt, any parting thoughts as we head out the door today, my friend? I mean, other than, than wow, I'm just super stoked that Ron was able to join us, share his journey, his story, his, um, you know, just his whole transition. 100%. It's, it's amazing, and I'm absolutely inspired by him. It was pretty killer to have Paige here, too, as well. Yes. She's busy with um, Sam Gonzo. Yep, yep. I'm sure, that, I'm sure that maybe there's some little coups that got picked up in the microphone, but that's cool, man. He's part of Signal Fire I, Nation now. Amen. I hope so. I love it. I love it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is going to do it for us here on this episode of Signal Fire Radio. Uh, if you like what you heard, please go subscribe to our pages. We are available on podcast. Um, and we are on all the social media pages. Don't forget to go check out our website, signalfire.media, where you can purchase an Easy Hippie t-shirt. All those proceeds will go to support Suiting Warriors. And don't forget to catch us here next week, Monday from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Signal Fire Radio. Y'all go be Signal Fires in your community today.